0: I think for today in our 40 days of prayer is to focus and direct our prayers in an effective way for those children, grandchildren who are prodigals or those that we feel are, have not come to a place of salvation or, or have left behind a relationship with Jesus. You know, the Bible has those two pictures, the prodigal son and the lost sheep. And so we tend to use those two terminologies uh, for our own children our grandchildren, or grandchildren or loved ones that we long to see come into a, an intimate relationship with God through Christ. And so today's uh, devotional written in our uh Christian Missionary Alliance, 40 Days of Prayer, is written by Dr. Ron Walborn. And he, he begins his devotional with a quote from Psalm 37. I was young, and now I am old. This is David speaking. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing and here's here's Ron's testimony of uh, he and Wanda his wife's uh, prayer commitment for their four children the Lord gave Psalm 37 to my wife Wanda and me early in our ministry it promises God's faithfulness not only to the righteous but also to their children even before we had children We began to pray God's blessing and favor over them and their future families. As our children grew and entered their teen years, those prayers became much more intense. And so, reading this, it triggered uh, in me a desire to go back and to read and to look at Psalm 37 in the full context. Because, if if you notice carefully, David is not giving a promise but he's making an observation and it is the observation of someone who has been through life, who has been through you know, the concepts that are so promising and and exciting when you're young the costs that you have to pay as you go through uh, years of both trial and tribulation as you go through times of difficulty, and trouble. And then he says, as an old man, looking back over his life, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've not seen their children begging bread. They're always generous, they lend freely, and their children will be a blessing. So, for that observation to become a reality in our lives, David actually structures the whole of Psalm 37 to talk about both an attitude towards family, but an attitude or a a worldview of reality. And he contrasts this worldview as the worldview of the righteous versus the worldview of the wicked. And, and he, he actually says a number of times in this passage, he says, I was young, but now I am old. And so he's using not you know, the fact that he's, you know, writing scripture, speaking scripture here, tells us that this is a reliable account because the Holy Spirit is a, is breathing and, and uh, God's word is coming forth through David. But, In a way, there's even greater credibility because David is also saying, I have seen this. I have seen when you dedicate yourself, you devote yourself, that, that you're going to have different eyes to see your family, different eyes to see your life, different eyes to see the world than the wicked have. And so... The overarching theme, whether it has to do with our family or our finances or our health or wealth or anything else, David's point is this. God does not abandon his people. And, and he says at times it can momentarily look like you are forsaken. I mean, David himself had times where he had to go to, in 1 Samuel 21, he had to go to Abimelech the priest and, and asked for the bread from the from the altar. Uh, he had to get bread for his soldiers from Nabal in 1 Samuel 25. But you see, in all these things, and this is Jesus' teaching, in all these things, whether it's through somebody else, or through work, or whatever else, it's still the Lord who's the source. It's still the Lord providing the bread. And here David, now an old man who's seen all of these things and having tasted the the sweetness of life and the bitterness of life. He's had joy and great pain. And yet, he says God has not forsaken him. And I want to break down in a way, because I think Psalm 37, in a simple way, it's not that I'm going to do it in a very complex way, but in a very simple way, it helps you to understand that if you're going to live identifying yourself as not only a follower of Jesus Christ, but, but a spiritually born again child of God who now has the righteousness of Christ to enter into and have intimacy with God, then you're going to have to look at life differently than a person who doesn't have all of that. You have every resource of God to live your life. And when you're praying, you're praying not out of your resources. You're praying out of the Father's resources that he has provided for you in Christ Jesus that are being applied to you by his Holy Spirit. So, (laughs) again, David says at the end of his life, he does not see God abandon his people. But what he he begins to say is you've got to start seeing it from wherever you are in your life. And and Psalm 37 says, says something so interesting. He says, you can look at times and you can see that it seems like the wicked prosper. This is one of the themes of Psalm 37. It's how you look at things that will determine how, in a way, how prosperous your soul is even when you're going through the difficult times and so what does David say he says that the easy thing is to look and compare yourself to others to the lifestyle or the resources of others and he says it's easy then to begin to fret now you might ask me in a way you might ask okay Mike how does this connect to praying for prodigals well let me just tell you if you're praying from a place of worry you've already weakened your prayer And in a way, you're acting and praying like a lost person who's praying for lost people. And David says, do not fret. It only tends to evil. And a lot of times what we're doing is we're looking at the circumstances and we're seeing we don't have control over the circumstances. We have these very specific outcomes for either our family, ourselves, our children. And, and we just, we're in a place where we're not trusting in the Lord for the outcomes. We've not surrendered the outcomes, even of our children's lives or our own lives, to the Lord. Now, we'll say we trust the Lord, but we're really showing that we have an idolatry, that we have other sources, that we've made other things ultimate. And so we begin to fret. We begin to worry. You see... What David is saying is what is ultimate to you what is your treasure is what's going to show up in your worry. And if you're worrying then your treasure is not the Lord Jesus Christ. And children can easily become our treasure. I've been watching this documentary on the life of Tiger Woods and one of the most powerful scenes in the whole documentary is Tiger's uh, father uh, does a speech and it's a very young Tiger at the time he's uh, transitioning his career from uh, the greatest amateur that ever lived to now testing himself on the professional golf circuit and his father gives a speech I'm not even sure why his father is making this speech but his, his words are, are, are unforgettable to me. He says, I am talking about my treasure. And then he tears up, this, this strong, green beret, you know, uh, special forces, military man, tears up. And he says, when I talk about my son, I get emotional. Now, it's a powerful moment. But that word, he, he, my treasure. And then he proceeds in the speech to put a burden on his son that no human being could carry of what his son must become, of how his son must transcend the game of golf and all of these other things. And Tiger's a person. At that point, he's maybe, I don't know, 19, 20 years old. And his father, who has made him his, his idol, is now saying my idol has to go out and change the world. Now, tiger did it in many ways, but he also also broke under the pressure. You see, that's what the psalmist is talking about. God has to be your treasure. or, Or what you're worrying about is actually your treasure. And David says this will only, this kind of fretting, worrying, anxiety, he's saying it will only do harm. Jesus himself comes back to this theme in the the Sermon on the Mount where he says, Do not worry about what you should eat, your life, your food, your drink, your children. But for many of us, it's it's because we love our children and we love our family so much. It's like, how can I not worry? Because they have to be demoted. God has to be ultimate. God has to be your treasure. And you have to trust God That if God is your treasure, he himself will treasure your children, your family, you. And it's so interesting because one of the things that David talks about is that we live in this world where the wicked seem to to prosper. He even says it very clearly, he says the wicked desire to slay the righteous. So we live in a threatening world, a perilous world is what he's saying. And so, but he says this very clearly. He says, God knows. God knows. It's obvious not just to us, the wicked, but it's obvious to God. They have not fooled him. So what does David say? He says, then make sure your character, and this is so important when we're praying for prodigals and for lost people, is David says, make sure your character is the opposite of, of the wicked make sure it's not the same and and so what does he say well here's here's the character of the righteous they're merciful they're generous do you know what worry and fretting does to you it makes you miserly it makes you hoard it makes you hold back because you're afraid but he says the righteous you see have a fearlessness, fearlessness because their trust is in the Lord and their treasure is in the Lord and so they can give away. They can give their sons and daughters for missionary service overseas into perilous lands because their children belong to the Lord and the Lord treasures them and the parents trust the Lord. Give mercy and give. The money, the money I have in my, my wallet is not mine. I'm a steward of it. God has given it to me and I can give it out Freely. Mercy, uh, full of mercy because I, I didn't deserve this and he gave it to me and I can give it to those even those that do not deserve it because God himself is merciful David says the righteous person is merciful and, then, and here's what he says, if you're merciful and you're generous, your descendants will be blessed That's a, that is a promise, that's not... <laughs> In that uh, case, it's not just an observation. It says, "Here is a kingdom principle of God principle. You live mercifully. You live generously. You are a blessing, and then you, your own children will be blessed." And I love, I like this: is if you, if you, you guard the love and the the word of God in your heart, David says, your steps will be established you will not slide you will not slip even if you fall you will be lifted up and then David is really clear this is one of the reasons he says do not fret David says and this isn't always that easy to hear because it's kind of almost harsh but it says evil doors shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb he says this over and over again evil doors shall be cut off They're just for a little while and the wicked will be no more. You'll look for them, but there won't be there. And this is—I mean, again, it might not be easy to hear, it's psalmist language—but he says, basically, the Lord laughs at the wicked and the schemes of the wicked, for He sees, and it's already in His mind a reality of the of the coming day when all the wicked schemes will disappear. The wicked will perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. Even their descendants shall be cut off. Here's what David says. I have seen the wicked in great power, spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. The transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. Sometimes we don't maybe like to hear such black and white language of the end of the wicked and the end of wickedness. But The Bible is clear. God is not mocked. God is not fooled. You know, <laughs> the desire, the need for grace and mercy is preceded by the reality of how wicked we really are. Uh, we are so evil Christ had to die for us. Yet we're so loved that he chose to die for us. But the only way that, that, the only that, way that sinners become righteous is not by cleaning up their own act and trying to do better, but it is by receiving what Christ has already done. See, there's a double blessing to the atoning work of Jesus. On the one hand, his death, him becoming the curse for us, becoming sin for us, Pays the penalty of our sins. But his righteous life is is given, imputed, is the technical word, is imputed. it's, It's put to your account. So that now you are treated as righteous as Christ. But you see, when you really realize that, when you see your sinfulness, when you see what grace has given you in the righteousness of Christ, then you begin to realize what a destructive, horrible end, wickedness, rebellion, sinfulness, iniquity, what those things, the end of those things is, is, is final, it's terminal. And that's what David's getting at. He's, he, you know, there's every motivation to be righteous because the end of wickedness is destruction and being cut off from the earth. And so, here's what David's saying is, is that one of the benefits of choosing into a righteous life, whether as a parent, a grandparent, or just as a person, is that the opposite is true. The wicked, even their descendants are cut off, David says. But, those righteous ones who are merciful and generous, even, even their the children will be a blessing, he says. It, I know in some ways this is, this is kind of cut and dry. It's a little on the black and white side, but sometimes we need to get that clarity. That dabbling with sin and, and, and even, even drifting into fretting and worrying is dangerous, hurtful, damaging. That's what David is getting at. Even as we are concerned for our children, we're concerned for ourselves, we're concerned for our families, Moving into fretting takes us out of the realm of the viewpoint and the life of the righteous, which leads to generational blessing, and puts us into the same exact viewpoint and characteristics of the wicked who will be cut off. Now again, uh, the only way you and I can live as righteous people is by faith. I mean, there's no other way. I cannot make myself righteous. That's not the issue. But now that he, is, he has legally declared me righteous in the righteousness of Christ, I now have an option. I have an option of seeing the world through the eyes of a righteous person, or seeing the, wor- uh, the world through the eyes of a wicked person. And And that's a characteristic that the psalmist uses. He doesn't use a wise person and an unwise person, although that would be true, he uses moral terms. He uses incredibly ultimate kind of terms, righteous versus wicked. And, and some people will say, man, I just can't help but worry, I can't help but fret. And I'm saying, yes you can, you're choosing how you're going to look at the world the way that you're looking at the world is you're saying, God, you have to protect my treasures, which means you have decided what your treasure is, and it's not God. And so David is really clear. If we want to see the kind of generational blessings magnified from our generation to the next, then there are choices that we make now which will be blessings to those who follow us. That's what what the psalmist is teaching here. Listen what he says. He will give you, and it's pretty powerful, he will give you the desires of your heart. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. And in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. For those who are blessed by him shall inherit the earth. They are preserved forever. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. He shall exalt you to inherit the land. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. Listen to those promises. If I I make the Lord my treasure, and if the Lord himself is ultimate to me, the promises are endless. And they're not just for this life, but for the life to come. And again, the psalmist sort of indicates something that, that the New Testament more fully reveals, and that is that eternity will be substantial. It will will correspond to life here. A new heaven, a new earth. Nothing you're doing here is wasted. That your inheritance is greater than you could ever imagine. So even when you're going through difficult trials, the reward of the righteous, David says, is an eternal inheritance. If God is on our side, David's saying, we have nothing to fear. We can look forward to blessings beyond anything we could ever imagine. And then, one of the themes of the righteous versus the wicked, and and, and the choice to say, I'm going to view the world through the eyes of this righteousness, which is now mine in Christ. He says, you can expect that there's going to be blessings even as you're going through tough times you're going to experience blessings because God is faithful listen to this the Lord upholds the righteous the Lord knows the days of the upright the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way now listen to this this is really good though he fall he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand I have been young and now I am old yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken The Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. The Lord will not leave the righteous in the wicked's hand nor condemn him when he is judged. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. I guess one of the greatest and and for me somewhat surprising uh, spiritual truths is that we, who are the unjust, we who are the unrighteous, through Christ Jesus, become righteous. And we then get the claim upon our God that when we are in trouble, that he will not forsake us. And it's although it, it, it is based in grace, he's giving it to us, not, not because we deserve it. But we can, we can call upon his justice when we're in trouble. And that, that shocks me that I can call upon the justice, of the Lord, Lord protect me, Lord defend me. Lord Lord, lift me up, Lord vindicate me. I can say all those things with utter confidence, because my father will never ask for a second payment for the sins that I have done. He has accepted Jesus' payment, he will never ask for another. And so here I am, a sinner, saved by grace, who can call upon the justice of God for my children, for my family, for my community. I can call upon that because the Lord will not forsake his saints. And he has taken me in Jesus from sinner to saint. Again, not by anything I have done, but I have received what Christ has done for me. This is an incredibly comforting picture. Even as I look at the trials my children go through, and the trials that... I believe other generations will go through but here's the thing david says god is father he's holding my hand he's holding my children's hand he's holding my grandchildren's hand and just as when a child learns to walk and is not very steady when he stumbles the father or the mother will reach out and not let him fall to the ground and hurt himself the father reaches out his hand to that daughter or that son who's learning to walk and picks him back up and puts them upright so they can start all over again. So what, what is being called for? Well, it's the opposite of fretting. It's trust. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he shall bring it to pass. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Depart from evil and do good. Dwell with him forevermore. Wait on the Lord. Keep his way. The one who waits on the Lord, the one who waits blamelessly on the Lord, who lives an upright life, David says, the future of that person is peace. So, isn't that interesting? When you're fretting, you're not trusting which equals no peace when you're trusting because God is your treasure and because God is for you who can be against you when you're trusting that he will not abandon you he will not forsake you even if you're falling down he's a father who reaches out his hand to steady you then David says then you will know peace because if God is your treasure he will always give more and more of your treasure and everything besides. One uh, Christian writer said this way, Here's David, in old age, but he says, Any aged Christian is able, from his or her own experience, to testify to the protecting care of a divine Father's love. The difference between the testimony of an old man and a young man is the difference between knowledge and supposition, between fact and surmise. It is the difference between the words of a veteran who carries the scars, the sword cuts, and the bullet wounds of many battlefields to the words of someone who's just beginning. I, I don't know. I, maybe I just had this devotion today to encourage my own heart and to remind me of this truth that my responsibility is to trust is to trust in the Lord and commit my family, my prodigal, my lost loved ones, to commit them to the Lord. And and Ron gives some prayer points about this. He says, pray out of faith, not out of fear. A lot of times when our children are going through difficult times, grandchildren, loved ones, are going through difficult times, it's easy to become fearful worried. And David, you remember him saying, fret not, it leads only to evil. So you have to pray for whatever you're praying for from a place of trust. That's when prayers become powerful. And Ron says, you know, the journey of our children, our journey of the ones we love is their testimony, not ours we can't prescribe for them how they're going to get to the glory of God only God can bring them into the place of glory and then the idea here that's really maybe important for us parents who feel like we did everything or we didn't do everything is the realization that you pray for yourself from a place of mercy and a place of grace instead of saying I should have done this, oh, I wish I'd never done that where all you're doing is judging and punishing yourself. It's so interesting. As important as a parent is in a child's life, we can make ourselves, by our pride and our wounded egos, we can make ourselves too big. Ultimately, the person that that has to become the most important in a child's life is not the parent. It has to become centered on Jesus Christ himself. And many parents uh, want the place that Jesus should have and Jesus isn't going to allow that and so again we we have to look and and not punish ourselves not you know constantly judging ourselves but at the same time not putting ourselves in a place or a position that's bigger than the Lord Jesus in their lives because we don't really need them to go back to a spirit of religion or a spirit of fear but the spirit of sonship and that's not sonship to us that's biological what they need is the spirit of adoption whereby they cry Abba Father to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ can you pray with me today? Lord, I've covered a lot of territory I know, but there's a couple of things that are so important here we put a stake in the ground and say you never forsake your people you never abandon Even when we don't trust you, you're still faithful. Even when we are faithless, you are faithful. And the promises that you made to us and to our children, our children's children, are not based on a covenant we made with you, but on a covenant you made with us. An everlasting covenant to be God to us and to our children and to our children's children. And so we're basing today our prayers not out of fear, because we recognize that fretting takes us out of the viewpoint of the righteous, out of the place of promise, and puts us into a place unsheltered, uncovered for the enemy to exploit our woundedness and our brokenness. We come back under the umbrella of committing our ways to you and trusting you fully, even for lost ones that we love and for prodigals who we want to return home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with me today.